0: This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. Well, you can tell by the sprightly sounds of gypsophilia that it's time for another episode of Lends Me Your Ears, the podcast that looks at current movies in theaters and current movie trends, and then relates them to older films from days gone by that you may or may not have heard of. My name is Stephen Cook, and I'm a Halifax arts writer and a reporter for Local Express. My name is
1: Karsten Knox. I am the movie guru at CTV Morning Live. I'm also the writer of
0: Flaw in the Iris, a blog at halifaxbloggers.ca. And today we're uh, noting the passing of of an actor uh, who, who we lost recently who's very near and dear to our hearts, and that is the great British actor John Hurt. So here we are again.
1: Uh, at lends me your ears, talking about the movies. Good to sit
0: opposite you, Stephen. <laughs> you too, Carson. Good to be back
1: again. So yeah, though it is a bit of a sad uh, theme today—the uh, passing of John Hurt, a, a really a legendary actor, someone who who is probably recognizable to most film goers from his supporting work and occasional lead roles. Uh, British actor has been working since the mid-60s in movies. Uh, But, you know, as our usual way of going about this is to have him watch something in the cinemas and then relating it back to earlier films, Um, this is also completely valid in, in this case, despite the fact of his passing, he is... In movies now, he is actually – I can – at the end of our our podcast, I have a list of the movies that he's expected to be seen in (laughs) over the next couple of years. I think there's five more on the way. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And he was in something just a couple of weeks ago in cinemas, and that was Pablo Lorraine's Jackie, which uh, here in Halifax only lasted for a week, which I was a little bit sad about, especially since uh, it's getting some attention as a result of the lead actor – uh, Natalie Portman having been uh, nominated for an Academy Award um, and it's quite an amazing portrayal of, uh, of a very recognizable uh public figure, uh, Jackie Kennedy, around the time of her husband's assassination in the early 1960s. Uh, and uh, yeah, John Hurt plays sort of a father confessor figure, someone who uh, is in maybe three or four scenes doing what he did so well, which is bringing texture and uh, gravitas to to a, a film with just his presence and his his just everything that he was so good at.
0: Yeah, he's uh I think he's just credited as the priest. I don't even think he his character gets a name because I guess he's in sort of an al- amalgam of, of a of real life uh figures in the life of Jackie Kennedy and the Kennedy family and he kind of comes in as the voice of her conscience as it were, the her her um source of uh, spiritual solace, I guess, in a time of of personal and national crisis. Uh and it's so great to see him in that role and he you know he's basically telling her to follow her heart in terms of what she's going to do and 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 how she's going to act in in the wake of uh, the death of her husband John F Kennedy who of course belongs to the whole nation not just her and her family and and of course it's a it's something no person should have to face in that public kind of light and and uh, that's what i liked about the film and and he kind of comes in as this private uh Voice in her ear, I guess, because I don't. Yeah. You don't really see him interacting with any other they other characters. They kind of have their walks in the garden, and he may not even. You know, maybe he's just a physical manifestation of her conscience, kind of arguing with itself. But it's 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 great to see him, and he of course he just knocks it out of the park in, in a few short scenes.
1: Yeah, it's true. Uh, it's it's a film that uh, I hope people get a chance to see at some point if they didn't see it in cinemas. It I think it I can count it a, a, among uh, films like Secret Honor and Downfall. As an imagining, a portrayal yes. of a particular time where someone lost a lot of power, like where <laughs> things were just crumbling within a certain political time, and uh, and I think Portman does really good work here, and and uh, she's opposite all these great actors, including Rich D. Grant and Peter Sarsgaard uh, and and Greta Gerwig, uh, and yes, and Hurt. So, so yeah, um, but yeah, John Hurt. I mean, my recollections of him over time has been he's just been ubiquitous he's showing up here and there He, he never seemed to be one of those performers that needed the spotlight he was quite happy playing that key supporting role and that's what I've always one of the things I've always admired about him also because he had such a particular look like you know going back to watch him in his early roles uh, his face is quite you know fresh and and he's so uh he's so youthful, but it seemed like overnight he became like this sort of grizzled um, um a man who who a performer who was very good at conveying suffering uh and seemed to be drawn to roles in which he played characters that suffered a great deal uh,
0: yes well as soon as you said that i just my mind immediately went to alien of course
1: of course yeah <laughs> which
0: is uh that might be his first like mainstream sort of breakout thing where where people in a kind of a mass market way noticed him, but um, you know he doesn't make it out of the first third of the film. I don't think we're revealing any great secrets here. No, I don't think so. Either. He's the first victim of of, of an alien uh, chestburster. burster. Uh, in in, in uh, the, the the great Ridley Scott sci-fi thriller, but uh, but of course you know he'd been around as you point out since uh, you know certainly on TV in the early '60s and then get moving into film in the mid '60s and appearing in some prominent projects and there, he always seemed to have like another breakout role <laughs> like he, you know before like he's kind of consigned to being a character actor there's all all these parts along the way where he's kind of just dazzling. Critics and, and viewers alike, and then it's back to a secondary roles or whatever. You know, you, th- you think of um, well, a film we'll probably talk about shortly, or I'll be talking about Sinful Davy, uh, where he was kind of plucked out of semi obscurity to star in this, you know, big budget historical comedy directed by John houston uh You know, it's my favorite director, uh, and, and the film was a flop. And, and then uh, I think a few years later, he's in. Um, in uh, I Claudius the 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 great British miniseries about the the Roman emperor um uh, the title role is played by um Derek Jacobi but uh John Hurt kind of steals every scene that he's in as Caligula of course right, sure. as you would hope with uh, somebody playing Caligula um you know most people just think of the terrible Penthouse movie with Malcolm McDowell but but uh but uh we we've got to remember that uh, John Hurt was there first. I remember those those uh episodes being on
1: TV and I had never I never got a sense of like when they were made uh you know it was all shot very sort of on the cheap where yes. basically the budget went into togas. And uh <laughs> but the performances were all really solid and uh and yeah it was quite startling to see that kind of uh, material and, and uh, you know, such a cavalcade of of great British thesps. Uh, and Hurt was always amongst them. You know, my, I, I went back and watched uh, A Man for All Season where he plays a supporting uh, character. This was a movie that won Best Picture in 1966, Best Director for Fred Zinneman, and Best Actor for Paul Schofield. Uh, the, the story of Sir Thomas More who was in the court of Henry VIII uh, then the king wants to get a divorce from Catherine to marry Anne Boleyn but uh, but uh, uh, more refuses to sign off on the dotted line on this he he considers himself a servant of God before he's a servant of the king and then of course forces array to threaten his career and his family and eventually his life hurt Plays Richard Rich, who is basically angling for a place in court, but uh, Moore refuses to endorse him, and then makes him an enemy in the process. It's it's actually quite a wonderful film about uh, conviction, and uh, but Hurt, Hurt again is is you know as I'm sure we'll say repeatedly in this in this chat is is how uh, great he is in this kind of role, just a kind of linchpin role. He's really weaselly.
0: Yeah, <laughs> anybody who can hold his own against Robert Shaw in anything, is <laughs> definitely working at the top of his game. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, it, you know, it, and he does show up in a lot of historical films because he looks like a character out of a Dickens novel. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, and, and uh, I think he must be in some, I, uh, you know, because he's got hundreds of credits, and I, I don't have them all stashed in my brain, but I, I, he must have been in something, Dickensian. I don't know if he's in Little Dorrit or something like that. I wouldn't be surprised. But uh, I, I should... Uh, I should do a little Google search, but but the the earliest I went was Sinful Davy, the film I mentioned previously, and uh, he is quite wonderful in this film that was fairly compromised by the arguments between its director, the uh, combative John Huston, and uh, Walter Mirisch, who's you know the great independent producer uh, over at United Artists. Um, the idea was to kind of you know do like a, a body historical romp. As, you know, which were all the fashion in the wake of Tom Jones. Tom Jones, directed by Tony Richardson, I think it won Best Picture in the early '60s, and all of a sudden, there, you were getting all these kind of saucy Andrew and all these kind of, you know, mid to medium budget kind of historical films uh, shot on historic locations and and so on. Um, I think Barry Lyndon kind of put the cap on on those films by actually making one that was artistic and not just out to show women in low cut, uh, bodices and so on. And, and, uh, John Houston's film falls somewhere in between. There's, there's definitely, uh, some artistic, uh, pretension at work here because it's a great director, but, um, Mirish recut the film <laughs> after Houston signed off on it and, I'm sure, I mean, it's, it's a pretty brisk hour and 37 minutes. I'm pretty sure, you know, Houston doesn't really make short, brisk films, at least not since the Maltese Falcon. And, and so I'm guessing there's probably significant plot lines that are cut, but it's fun to watch. I mean, it's, you know, you watch it and it's just kind of a fun, goofy romp more than anything, but, uh, but Hurt is great as this Scottish rapscallion in 1821, who's, who's has this ambition to be a, a great highwayman, Like, his father or the man he thinks is his father and um and he goes to great lengths impersonating royalty or gentry and and uh, you know escaping from the army by jumping off a bridge and getting away inside of a bass drum uh, and, uh, and there's all these great set pieces um uh one of the one of the arguments was that john houston wanted his daughter angelica to star in the film as as the the woman who um You know, this very uh, Christian woman who's trying to get uh, sinful Davy to repent and change his ways, which, of course, he refuses to do uh, throughout the film. And, of course, she had only been in one film, another John Huston film uh, before that, and didn't have a ton of experience and also did not look terribly Scottish. If you know Angelica Huston, she... You know, she kind of looks very Italian or Spanish or Mediterranean <laughs> and just just based on her facial features, she wasn't really right for the part, let alone whatever acting skill she might have had at the time. So that created a lot of uh, discomfort on the set, I guess. But but Hurt is fun. He's having a blast. It, you know, he, he definitely... He definitely skews his performance to the the what's required in terms of being comedic and being kind of a broad character and being a rascal with a twinkle in his eye and all that kind of stuff. And it, it's fun to watch him do that to 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 play something that's not so serious, and uh, you know where he really fits the historic tone of of, of the film. Um, he has a pretty good Scottish accent. Very good. I was <laughs> so, going to ask. Actually, um, you know, I I think he was you know because we I've seen him in films where he has Irish accents, and I'm trying to think of a heard him try and be American I, I can't think of any but I'm sure there's something out there somewhere um, and uh you know it's 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 funny I'm looking at the poster art for it and it doesn't it's interesting how they sold this film the the guy in the artwork on the poster doesn't look like John hurt at all he's kind of tall and buff looking with a very strong jawline and and <laughs> no, oh yeah no no, resemblance I don't, I don't to see John that. hurt at all so I don't know <laughs> if uh, people were, were disappointed when they saw the film with this kind of scrawny almost diminutive kind of man playing this who's supposed to be a buff hero but he does he does fill the part and and gets into a lot of fun scrapes throughout the course of the film and it's uh it's currently you can get it it's available as uh an mgm uh limited edition collection disc you have to get it you know you can probably find it through a mail order place but it's it's one of those dvd rs on demand dvds on demand that you can buy um through various, you know, movie collector sites, but it is an official release and it's a lovely widescreen copy. So, uh, if you love John Huston and/or John Hurt and want to see something that you probably have not seen him in, especially a, a ribald comedy, uh, I would definitely recommend *Sinful Davy*. Well, moving along in our uh, scattershot look at John Hurt's filmography, uh, the, uh, there's there's so many things. Uh, to look at in so many facets of his career and you know I kept talking about how there's there's all these different breakout roles like he kept getting attention for this role and that where he would stand out and then there'd be a couple of fun minor projects and then there'd be another major thing for example like the first thing that I can think of where I actually heard the name John Hurt and connected it into a film would be when Elephant Man came out. Um, yeah, and, sure. And we could probably talk about that a bit later, but, but you know, then, but of course in that film, he's under so much makeup that you wouldn't actually know what he looked like from the trailers and, and the TV ads and all that kind of thing. Plus, he also had to contend with the fact that at the same time that John Hurt was becoming known to the general populace, he also had William Hurt and John Hurd. So, you know, as a, you know, as a teenager trying to, when you heard the name, you had to kind of. I, I, anyway, I did. Anyway, I had to sift between these three actors, three very different actors, to figure out which one was actually being talked about until I actually got them straight in my head. But um, a, a key role for him uh, from uh, the mid seventies, uh, and this is actually before I Claudius, and this is probably. the the project that got him that key role is a a film called the naked civil servant, where he played a a very kind of well-known and notorious figure on, on the British uh, social scene. And that was uh, Quentin crisp. Um, For a second there, I thought you were going to get into little Malcolm and his struggle against the eunuchs. Well, We could talk about that. (laughs) We could mention that, you know, let's just take a quick detour because um, I just love the title. I have no idea what the film was about. Well, Well, after, after sinful Davey, was a flop. <laughs> he, he had a lot of supporting roles after that. There's a great uh, serial killer movie with uh, Richard Attenborough. as a mild mannered serial killer called Ten Rillington Place, and and uh, another a war film called Before Winter Comes, and 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 so on. And then he gets another chance uh, at a starring role in a feature film in a very experimental feature called Little Malcolm and His Struggle Against the Eunuchs, um, where an art student played by Uh, played by Hurt, named uh, Malcolm Scrawdyke, uh, is thrown out of college. Depressed, he comes up with the Party of Dynamic Erection, a near-fascist so-called party that promotes male sexual dominance and which attracts a couple of other unsavory confused characters and uh, this film is available from the british film institute so uh if you want to be a john hurt completist i'd say track that down i really (laughs) i really want to see it so yeah i'm I'm
1: curious myself i wonder how problematic it is politically or is it maybe
0: just one of those broad satires that the brits you know have always been good at i think it's probably a broad satire well david warner an actor i love from any number of films uh plays dennis charles nipple so, and I think he plays like kind of his co-conspirator. So, yeah. um, and of course, I can watch anything with David Warner in it as well. So yes, keep an eye out for Little Malcolm and his struggle against the eunuchs. As far as I know, it's only on DVD in the UK. But uh, you know, Amazon.co.uk is only a, a click away, of course. Um, yeah. So yeah, neither of us have seen it, so we probably
1: shouldn't <laughs> linger too long. No. But But you did mention the Naked Civil Servant yes. uh, before I, which I seems so to rudely fit uh, in rather nicely. A uh, detour. Uh, yes. Uh, we watched the na- Naked Civil Servant, which was uh, a real charmer. I, I was I'd, I'd known a lot about it. I knew that Hurt played Quentin Crisp, and I certainly knew about Quentin Crisp. Um, but the things that the film showed me, though, interesting, it's it was made for tv originally but uh but the 75 minute running time is pretty much the only thing that tips you off otherwise it feels like a modestly budgeted indie picture uh and and crisp of course his story is as he was a flamboyant gay man living in london in the 1930s at a time when such a thing basically earned him beatings and scorn but the film is totally celebratory it tells this uh, fascinating story of this character who refused to deny who he was. And uh, in fact, you know, uh, trumpeted uh, it to anyone who was around him and and created this wonderful community right through uh, the wartime. And uh, it's full of wonderful, witty dialogue, which I'm assuming is lifted right from Quentin Crisp's book uh, The Naked Civil Servant and it's one of those cases it's 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 notable for a couple of things I thought one is that it's a rare case when a lot of voiceover really works for the film and it's another case where it's a biopic and we actually span quite a bit of time we're talking a few decades and you never feel like you're getting a, a diluted version of the character. It really, it really resonates, and a lot of that has
0: to do, of course, with Hurt's performance. Yes, and you get a little clip of the actual Quentin Crisp at the very start of the film before it kind of goes into the past with with John Hurt at, at many different ages, from from the 1930s up until uh, up until I think the late 70s when he moves to the U.S. Uh, and uh, it's um, it's such a fascinating story, and uh, you know. The, the, the trials and tribulations of being an openly gay man in the 1930s, forties and fifties and so on is, is not something that's, you know, there, there aren't a ton of films on the topic. I mean, you know, it does get touched on in various things. Uh, cabaret, I think is one where, uh, you know, Michael York has this problem in Nazi Germany, uh, of, of trying to, uh, maintain his facade. Um, but the, but this film, I mean, just dives in, uh, with both feet and, and, you know, when, when, uh, for example, it's kind of heartbreaking when uh, John Hurt goes to a club for gay men and there is told that he's too gay because, you know, he's like because everyone there, the men there are trying to maintain that veneer of respectability, even within their own circle and 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 crisp with his dyed hair and his, his you know, painted nails and, and his his uh, fashion sense um, all kind of. Make him a target, which they don't want to be. Uh, yeah, you know, they just they they're quite happy to stay in the closet, as it were. And uh, and he wants no part of it. And it's 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 kind of heartbreaking you know, that he's you know even within his own group he's still an outsider, and uh, you know which is I'm sure what made the book such a, a fascinating read. I've not read his book, but I feel like I should I should hunt that down. And uh, why it makes for such a good story. On the, on the small screen in this case.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, the thing about it is, and this is, I had no idea until we started digging into this, there was a sequel.
0: You know, we, we could
1: do a whole podcast about unexpected sequels or yes. ones that people don't know about, and there are a number. Um, in this case, uh, John Hurt returned to the role of Quentin Crisp in 2009 with a film called uh, inevitably, I guess, Englishman in New York, uh, named after the famous Sting song, which, of course, was about Quentin Crisp. Um, and uh, it's also around the same length, the running time, about 75 minutes, and uh, it, it tells the story of Crisp falling in love with New York City and his subsequent relocating there, his feeling, feeling of freedom through the more permissive place, uh, one that celebrates some of his particular style and wit. He becomes kind of a bon vivant uh, character, that, uh, a celebrity there. And... Uh, you know, and he um, and he lives through the sort of age of AIDS in the '80s, and uh, it it uh, and he he finds himself out of touch with some of the concerns of the people that he becomes close with, uh, and it's it's a really it's an interesting examination of that. Uh, it's it's funny. It's it's not quite as good as the original. Um, it's a very melancholy story where I. I think I think Crisp, as a celebrity, he suffers less. Uh, but somehow, of course, that, and that maybe that means that <laughs> in, in the, 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 the cinematic storytelling, it feels less. Uh, there's less at stake somehow. Um, but I also think that the characters arrayed around him are less interesting. Yes. Uh, with um, <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, with maybe the exception, Dennis O'Hare, I like. Cynthia Nixon, though she's not in it much, It's pretty great. Yeah, and, she's, she's kind of, other than her, she's pretty much the best thing in it. Yeah, and Susie Kurtz as well has a couple of good scenes. Uh, but, you know, the cast of The Naked Civil Servant include Patricia Hodge and John Rhys-Davies and Colin Higgins. And they all have sort of their own arcs. Uh, whereas with the sequel, it's all pretty much about Quentin and and what how what he learns in New York. Um, but I think if you're interested in in seeing this, it's really great to see Hurt play the role it, thirty years apart because he it just he just embodies it and it and it seems it seems to come effortlessly to him. Like I completely believed him as Quentin. Chris.
0: Yeah, he it, it's it's a wonderful performance, and uh, you know he's. He, he elevates it without making it camp. It's, it's such a fine line that he walks in, in, in both films, because obviously there's quite a bit of, you know, there's 20 years under the bridge between a naked civil servant and Englishman in New York. Uh, But it seems like a seamless transition when you watch the two performances, because of course he's aged at the end of the first film with makeup and so on. And then he's actually that age or, you know, older, certainly, certainly closer to it in, in the second. And, um. And, you know, you know, there's a bit, you know, there's a lilt in his voice and, 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 uh, but he, you know, it just, he just stops short of being a, a camp caricature and he just knows exactly how to play it. And it just feels right every time. Um, and, but, but the second one is, it's more of a coda than, than, than a real worthy follow-up, but, uh, but it is interesting to see that how, the, how he goes from being, uh, you know, too gay. In his in his early years to being kind of regarded as an old fogey with old-fashioned ideas in the in the second film i mean you know where he and you know and controversially proclare, proclaimed proclaim that that aids is a fad uh and, and and immediately was just you know heaped heaped upon with scorn for that sound bite uh even though when you know when he puts it in context, it makes more sense. And he does so in a one man show that he kind of tours where he just talks and takes questions from the audience and so on. But uh but it it can people kind of vilified him for a while after being a you know kind of a pioneer in a way and and certainly uh 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 an activist when there there weren't many uh, vocal and, and public gay activists. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's certainly, it is sad to see that kind of turnaround happen, but he's, he's he's kind of justified by the end of it. But it, yeah, the first one is the better film, just by virtue of the casting. And and, and also the, it's funny because the second film actually feels more dated than the first one. Does. Yeah, that's kind of strange. You that. know, even though the, the original is from the mid 70s, it feels fresher than the second one, which just feels like, you know, late, 2000s tv movie kind of feel or something like that maybe because it keeps shooting them on the same street and uh there, there's a certain low budgetiness to, to some of it that that doesn't help but um yeah but but having people like john reese davies in the original he is a real surprise where he plays a, a live-in lover of uh quentin crisps and he's you know he just brings that garrulous personality to to the part and it's uh, so what is it about Welsh actors who's like larger <laughs> than life in personas? You know? I know, I, I don't know. It's it's that 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 gusto, I guess. Yeah. that comes from d- descending from coal miners and uh, and and choir boys, I guess. Or something like that. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna get some letters from
1: the Welsh. Uh, okay, well, let's move on then. Um, we want. I just wanted to not a tip of the hat to a couple of other performances. Uh, of course, uh, Hurt was Max in Midnight Express. Another case of where he played a character who was suffering in a turkish prison. Uh he was also I don't know if a lot of people know this he was the voice of Aragorn in the animated Lord of the That's Rings. Right. And uh, he was in uh, the Osterman Weekend Sam Peckinpah's I think it was his last film. Yes. Uh he was in Heaven's Gate in that uh much discussed uh cinematic uh uh, si- you know, basically the 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 nail in the coffin of the 70s uh, auteur period in American cinema. Uh, and he even played Jesus in History of the World Part One, uh, <laughs> which which uh, I don't think he's in it much. But uh, I thought that was actually pretty funny to mention. Um,
0: yeah, and- it's funny how he and Mel Brooks must have struck up a friendship or something because he also shows up as his alien character. In space Spaceballs, balls, right. Which is the best, and it's the best joke in the whole film. So. Yeah,
1: yeah, it is a great joke. Um, We watched the hit from yes. the mid 80s. What was it, 84, 85? Is it that late? I'm trying to remember the dates on that.
0: Something like that. Yeah. It's, um, um,
1: yeah, 84. 84. And it's, that was um, a good year for him. It was. <laughs> um, Yeah, he made another film in that year, which uh, we'll mention it in a little bit, but uh, uh you know, no hints uh, as to what it was called. Uh, but uh, but uh, it, the hit is a British gangster movie directed by Stephen Frears. Of course, it has a terrific career and as a filmmaker. It's set in Spain, so, you know, it's it probably would make a great double feature with like Sexy Beast oh, as a completely. British, British gangster movie. Uh, I'm sure it was a big influence on Sexy Beast. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, Terrence Stamp plays a guy named Willie Parker who he gave up his buddies in a deal with the cops and ten years later he's living in Spain. His old chums, they catch up with him, but instead of killing him, they Take him on this sort of road trip into France. Uh, Hurt plays Braddock, who's sort of the hard man in charge of this operation. He does not say much, but he's probably as terrifying a presence as he's ever been in movies. Uh, and a peroxided Tim Roth is the flashiest <laughs> role as a cocky yes. thug. Also look out for supporting roles uh, in Ralph Brown, who is an actor I really like a lot, uh, Fernando Rey, and Jim Broadbent are all in the film. This is a really very interesting. Very young Jim Broadbent. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, it's an interesting picture. It's a, it's a, uh, a quirky Quirky little movie. Uh, I enjoyed going back to it. Uh, I enjoyed Hurt for his his just like playing again, playing a role that I not seen him from him before. This sort of like presence of fear and terror uh, to these other characters, but also Terrence Stamp playing a character who was, who was much lighter than the circumstances tended to suggest. (laughs) He, this very whimsical kind of attitude towards his, his basically impending death. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a fun, fun little movie.
0: I I think it was an important film for Stamp because I don't, I, I think, uh, he'd kind of been hiding out or something. Like, I think he, aside from Superman two, uh, I, th- I think he'd uh not been doing a ton of acting at that point so this is kind of like praised as his return to form as it were as this very zen uh kind of gangster in hiding as it were and uh and you know at, at that point i wasn't familiar with a lot of his earlier work i hadn't seen things like far from the madding crowd or toby dammit or any of this stuff and 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 i was uh, you know I, I saw the hit shortly after it came out and and was really impressed by the film and um I'd only seen hurt in a handful of things at that point, and and uh, you know just you know I always thought of him as as playing villains, you know, and then it it turns out that uh, you know he of course his his uh, scope is much wider, but yeah, the the cold bloodedness of his character is is really chilling, and it's as far from Quentin Crisp as you could get in terms of a of a character. You know, here's here's a guy who, you know, he's a killer. He's not uh, a whimsical. Um, raconteur at all and but he seems to have a, mo- a sense of mercy there are a couple of
1: moments where he could simplify this whole procedure by knocking off a, a few key characters <laughs> yes. and that would be the end of the story you're like right <laughs> there but he he lets it drag on for a while and-, and i think part of the mystery of the interest of the film is is trying to figure out his motivations for doing that
0: yeah it, you know the- there's a-, a rich inner life happening with his character here and uh you know it's in, in later years, he's kind of you know as, as his career goes on, it's more like a sideline character, you know, who offers great support. But but here he's kind of it's that that battle of wills between him and Stamp that is uh, you know where he's paired up with an actor who's you know really his equal, which you don't always get in some of his other films. That that really drives this film, and, and it's uh, you know and and not knowing how it's going to wind up. I, I do think the film the film does feel a bit dated to me as I as I watched it again for the first time in you know, well over a decade. Um, you know, the, the, the score that air Clapton music just seems to really nail it to kind of a, a mid eighties kind of, uh, kind of vibe. But, uh, but performance wise, yeah, it's, it's, it's still pretty stunning. Yeah. Um, we should
1: mention, uh, just a, the other movie that we, we, I, oh, yes. I, I nodded to, I, I tipped to, which was 1984. Uh, and I rewatched this one and, uh, it's funny, uh, you know, I know it's an important book, but it doesn't make for much of a movie. Um, <laughs> it's pretty unrelentingly and, and grim. And it is unrelentingly grim. I think it's, some, it's, it's a curiosity in how, in, in, in how some stories are adapted for film. And I think it, I think it offers a lot of lessons, um, both positive and negative, about how to do that. Uh, it's not actually a film with a lot of incident. Basically, it tells the story of this this you know uh, oppressive, authoritarian, fascistic society and people living in it. And I was constantly reminded while watching it that uh, Terry Gilliam's Brazil came out shortly li- after yes. and made it much more fun. I mean <laughs> we're able to impart the very same messages uh, through a much more satiric – uh and and fantastic uh vision which is why i think 1984 is 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 somewhat forgotten whereas brazil is considered a science fiction classic uh in terms of the cinema and not the the literary origins i, I mean 1984 is constantly being referred to these days uh in terms of orwell's impact but uh, but as a film i think it's a uh, it's almost too faithful it just it basically has this Commu- almost communist propaganda imagery. Yes. Uh, and then there's this sense, I think the filmmaker was trying to be true to the era in which the book was written, which was 1948. And there is a very much a sense of post-war gloom about it. Um, very dreary, very bleak. Hurt plays Winston Smith, who's secretly committing thought crimes by keeping a diary. And he starts an affair with Susanna Hamilton's Julia. Uh, and then you know that eventually this is not going to go well. Uh and I, I I think the thing about the film I enjoyed the most, I mean, aside from again, Hurt being very good in it, was uh it's it's the it's the last film from Richard Burton and he's really, really creepy.
0: <laughs> yeah. He he I think he definitely comes away with the, the most memorable stuff in this film, but but I, I did I, you know, I remember seeing this at the time and just the, 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 a couple of different versions of the film with different, like the, the Eurythmics did a song score. Yeah. Who can forget I, Sex Crime? That yeah. It's, a, was, it's the single. score
1: from, from Eurythmics. It was on the version I heard and it's, it's kind of odd. It's a little,
0: it's a little glossy for given, given the material. Yeah. And it kind of dates it as well. But, uh, but the version that I saw initially, uh, at the very end of the, you know, it's just the uh, horrific ending and then it just, the screen just goes black and they just play the song Julia in its entirety a black screen. And then I just, I just remember sitting there at Wormwoods uh, when it was uh, in the Kyber building and just sitting there, just <laughs> feeling like somebody just dropped a 10 ton weight on my head uh, for the last couple hours. And it just, and I'd read the book, you know, I was really keen to see it. And, uh, you know, I, I did like how well it fit my images in my head from the book. I mean, and and you're right, it, it is extremely faithful to, to the novel, um, but you're right, almost to the point of you know, maybe they should have been a bit a little more cinematic or breathed a little bit of light into it somewhere along the line. But it's it's kind of hard with the, with the subject matter. And then, um, you know, but there's stuff like you know, like he, he gets a victory cigarette and the tobacco falls out just like in the book. And there's the victory gin and and, and you know the 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 TV screens in each each apartment where you have your what was it the sixty second hate? I can't I'm trying to remember. You know, where you, you just kind of scream at the the your oppressive enemies. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, no, Oceana. It's, the
1: Oceana. Yeah, it's, uh, it's oh. interesting. I just find it interesting that the way certain films and uh, last in the culture, some do and some don't. And uh, I think it's weird that the Apple ad from yes. that year <laughs> the same is, time. is at the same time and so uh, obviously influenced by that uh, is actually probably more prominent in our culture as a cultural conversation now than this film. Yeah, and it's
0: it's interesting. I mean, this was actually the third adaptation of 1984. The first one was a TV version with Peter Cushing as uh, Winston Smith, which was kind of a straightforward adaptation of the book done on a BBC TV budget. You know, budget, and there was a version of that available for a while, but it, it's it's gone out of print. Then there was a a, a theatrical version with. Um, uh, Edmund O'Brien, the star of, well, you know, he's known for film noir like uh, like DOA and, you know, generally, you know, he's kind of a portly guy who plays these kind of oppressed characters. So he was kind of perfect for the role, but he's an American in a kind of a British production. So it was a, a bit bit odd, And it, but it's done with kind of a more of a film noir approach, which, you know, if you're going to do it in the 50s, it sort of works. But a lot of the point of the novel kind of gets gets lost, uh, and it has a, a completely different ending from the book. I think he's reunited with Julia at the end of the, at, at the end of the film, um, uh, which is not what happened. Oh, I- spoiler alert if you ever come across uh it's it's very gloomy don't expect much much of a happy ending with any of this with any of them um (laughs) it's worth tracking down the 50s version just to see how different it is from the more faithful version from the 80s uh i mean for a long time it was actually completely suppressed because orwell's widow hated it so much and apparently uh, well i don't know if george was still around or not but she wasn't very fond of it and because she had the the Reitz hammer, she kind of basically banned it from being screened or whatever. And actually, Wormwood's got a hold of a sixteen millimeter print years and years and years ago. And that's the first time I saw that version, the fifties version. And uh, you know, it was like, well, it's not the book, but it's it's an interesting relic of its time, I guess. You know, maybe it incorporates some aspects of of McCarthyism in there, and then and the Cold War uh, into it, but uh, not 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 ideal. But it is fun. I mean, but it's it's almost kind of campy when you get into the Junior Anti Sex League and all that kind of stuff. It's it's a little squishy, but um but definitely definitely a, a relic that is worth seeing if you're a fan of the book or or the subsequent movie.
1: Hi, I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson and I'm host of the Food Podcast. Now, this is not a cooking podcast. We'll talk about the history of food, we'll meet the players in the food world, and we'll explore the ingredients that fill our lives with flavor. Check us out on iTunes and Stitcher. We'd love to hang out with you. So in the 80s, John Hurt was in a, a number of, of pretty high-profile films. I remember seeing him in something called Jake Speed in 1986 <laughs> or so, which is maybe the worst Indiana Jones ripoff you're ever likely to see. Even at that age, I recognized it was terrible. But Hurt played the villain. Um, anyway, so I'm, I, but I'm not going to linger on it because really I would never recommend mm-hmm. it um, however Hurt was uh, really great in a film called Scandal from 1989 this is Michael Caton Kat, Jones uh, British filmmaker and it's the true story of the Perfumo scandal in the early 1960s in London where a party girl as as she was sort of euphemistically known played by Joanne Whaley uh, a woman named Christine Keeler was sleeping with the minister of war John Perfumo, played by Ian McKellen with terrible hair <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Um, and a a Russian intelligence officer at the same time. So the connection there was just too uncomfortable for people to even imagine. And there was all this decadence within the uh, the British government at the time, anyway, at least depicted as depicted in this film. Uh, Christine's pal, Mandy Rice Davies, is played by Bridget Fonda, and she's really good in this. this is, it's a reminder that Bridget Fonda is much missed because yes. she just basically walked away from Hollywood like 15 years ago, and we have not seen her since. Um, it's a great look at the swinging 60s, and uh, John Hurt plays Stephen Ward, and the, the newspapers unflatteringly called that character... Uh, a pimp, but he was really just a guy who knew the right people and knew how to get things. Uh, and I really like that Hurt in this film sort of he smokes a lot and he sort of uses the cigarette to sort of depict his emotional state. He, you know, he never shied away from playing pitiful characters, especially he, he, he was never concerned play, about playing the guy who gets the girl. Like he really is. He, he is such a sad sack in this. And it's, and it's a terrific role, a terrific film for anyone who has a passing interest in, in political thrillers or in, in like uh scandalous, you know, based on the title scandalous, <laughs> scandalous, real life dramas. Um, uh, yeah, so I'd recommend that one.
0: Yeah, it's a knockout cast, and and I, I, you know, I recall just it being a really fun depiction of the you know so-called swinging '60s with a with a bit of a, a you know that edgy undercurrent of the political scandal that was happening at the time, and you know it was one of those things I always read about as a kid, and to see it portrayed. In what I gather is a fairly sincere and and well documented way, uh, was a, was a real treat. You know, it's kind of like the same way I like that original, not the recent craze movie, but the original craze movie with the two guys from Spandau Ballet. I, I thought was a really, you know, evocative uh, look at that time. You know, from a more recent standpoint, and, you know, Scandal is one of those films that yeah, it's kind of gone under the radar and isn't so well remembered, but it's definitely one that I thought treated historical events with you know, a certain amount of respect, but also with, with a certain, uh, vivid, uh, flair as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, speaking of historical events, so this, I believe is quite fictional or fictionalized, uh, there, uh, Hurt was in something called White Mischief at the, at the same time. This is a film I remember quite well, mostly Greta Skaki yes. and her, her immodest, uh, performance. Um, but it's a, a lot, another story of like Lush. uh, decadent Brits uh basically misbehaving in Africa uh in a period drama and hurt plays a a, a landowner I believe uh, he was also in Rob Roy uh, he was in contact which is he plays a sort of billionaire uh, supplier of, oh, wow, of forgot uh, about that. Of, of funds to uh, um, uh yeah to this this science fiction story uh, that sends Jodie Foster into into uh, another dimension uh he was I really liked him as Professor Broom in uh, Hellboy, in the Hellboy movies, uh, less so as uh, in the Indiana Jones sequel, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, he played Oxley. <laughs> it's actually – he's actually not bad in the film, but the film just – it is is not recalled as one of the great uh, Indiana Jones movies, um, and I think a whole generation of people will remember John Hurt as Ollivander in Harry Potter. Um, he worked with Lars von Trier a number of times in Dogville uh, and uh, Melancholia. He was, of course, in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which is basically a uh, a collection of the best British actors working, um, and uh, and m- more recently, I really loved him as Christopher Marlowe in Only Only Lovers Left Alive, an yes. ancient vampire living in in Northern Africa. But I know you wanted to talk a little bit about his films that he made in Nova Scotia, so maybe this is a good opportunity.
0: Yeah, well, the the clock is is a ticking, and uh, you know, there's, there's hundreds of roles to talk about. <laughs> you know, just you know, we we haven't really taken a look at an actor with this uh, kind of. Breadth of because I mean, he just he, it feels like he was always working and in all kind of parts of the world and uh, including this little corner of the world where we are, um, uh, and uh, the first time he came out here was for something called Love and Death in non- Long Island from 1997, and um, as the uh, as the title indicates, uh, the love and death part um, is uh, is kind of a, a nod to uh, Thomas Mann's Death in Venice where uh, an aging man who's played on film by Dirk Bogart in the film in the same name um, becomes obsessed with a young boy in Venice and uh, it's, it's it's a beautiful story and and, and quite a lovely film. I, I, I My brain thinks it was Vittorio De Sica that made it but I'm, I'm probably blanking on that uh, on the original but uh, this version we have uh, Richard uh as the uh, as the man behind the helm of this film um, based on a novel by Gilbert Adair where John Hurt plays an aging and widower, a widowed uh, writer named Giles Death, which of course looks like death. It's like D-E apostrophe um, (laughs) A-T-H, which is kind of a labored pun. But anyway, we'll let that lie. Who who becomes obsessed with um, a movie star uh, played by Jason Priestley. And, um, so it kind of pushes the limits of this uh, obsession with this youthful uh, movie star, and into this kind of sexual obsession that sort of become blossoms into a friendship. But um, he he goes to a he goes to a movie theater to see a, what he thinks is the new Em Forrester <laughs> film. When they, of course, they, those were all the rage at the time: Room with a View and so on. And winds up watching some goofy sex comedy, but becomes obsessed with. With Jason Priestley's character, and it's it's actually a pretty lovely performance. It's it's not the greatest script uh, in in the world, and Priestley is a lot of fun too. Actually, as this kind of um, hunky male movie star who's who's not as dumb as he looks, acts or talks. And uh, and and uh, I had a chance to interview Hurt around the time of this film. Uh, I think probably around the time that it played the Atlantic Film Fest, and it was it, he was quite lovely. I mean, you know, he he was very vocal about enjoying his time here i think a lot of it was filmed out in bedford um his house was on like a house on the bedford basin they used the traveler motel on the bedford highway as a location and uh i didn't get to visit the set unfortunately but it was a treat to talk to him about this film and and a little bit about his career but you know did you meet him in
1: person or was it over the phone
0: uh this was over the phone um i did meet him in person briefly on the set of outlander which i'll talk about no (laughs) kidding
1: oh man i haven't heard this
0: story well, it was it was pretty brief. He was kind of heading to his trailer and I got to say hi and ask him a few questions and that was about it. But okay. um kind of like meeting Tim Roth on the set of the Sea Wolf out in uh out in uh, Purchase Cove somewhere. Yeah, sure. Um, very brief, but uh but still pretty cool. Um so loving and death of long on, it is a, uh, available on video, I believe. I think even if you're in Halifax where we are, uh the Halifax library has a copy. You can reserve that online or whatever. Um and uh, it, it's kind of a sweet romance slash platonic romance, if, if you want to look at it that way. And, uh, of course, lots of uh, local locations to kind of go, oh, I know where that is, <laughs> uh, which which uh, maybe gives it a little more charm here than it might, uh, might elsewhere. Of course, I, I mentioned Outlander, and that was his other uh, trip to Nova Scotia to film a story about uh, 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 an alien warrior played by Jim Caviezel who crashes on to earth in uh, Viking Times and uh, has to chase a, a, a kind of a a, a giant monster with, with I the, remember when the they they, sh- the they shot this it
1: was notoriously troubled uh, production mostly because of the elements I gather one of their sets completely got washed away and covered in mud or something.
0: Yeah, there was there was a big uh, there was a big snowstorm that happened. Although I think they got to use some of that as production value, so it wasn't a complete loss. But yes, <laughs> I think the, the, they they built a complete Viking village out in Nine Mile River, and I got to visit the set and see the giant fence and the huts they built and everything. And I I didn't get to talk to Caviezel. He was very into his character, as you might expect, because he's a very intense actor. But I got to watch him actually in a, in a scene where he's bound. He's been tied to a post, and the the Vikings are questioning him trying to find out if he's from a rival tribe of vikings or not and and um and uh, you know and then he's kind of interacting with the the daughter of the Viking chieftain played by john hurt uh whose character's name is Hrothgar and he's uh an aging warrior who wants to he wants to be able to go out you know as vikings do wants to go out in a blaze of glory um and of course uh fighting a giant monster is from outer space is just the way to do it um <laughs> He's great. Uh, I got to say, and, and the film is—you know—given that you know we were hearing all the stories about about uh, you know sort of crisis on the set and them getting behind schedule and the director getting frustrated with with all this stuff. Um, there was, uh, you know, it was as you say, it was not the the happiest of movie shoots. But the film is is actually a lot of fun. It doesn't take itself too seriously. It knows that it's about a guy from outer space fighting a giant monster with the help of some Vikings. And, uh, you know, you've got people like Ron Perlman in the cast who have that kind of, uh, that, well, I'll use the word gusto again. I think I used that before with, um, John Rhys Davies, but, but you get it here again, um, with, with Perlman as, as a rival Viking chief who has to agree to co- co- cooperate to defeat this monster and, uh, and so on. And, and her, again, he's like the, the voice of wisdom and, and experience, uh, who, uh, who doesn't just outright reject this uh, alien dude as a, as a, as a foreigner who needs to be uh, done away with. Uh, And of course they need his help to fight this giant monster that's come to earth. Um, so it's, you know, I think he kind of knows that it's not the most serious of material, but, but he delivers it pretty straight faced and, uh, you know, gets to have a couple of good fight moves, uh, and so on before he, uh, uh, Goes out in his blaze of glory, shall we say, as as, <laughs> as, uh, as a good Viking would hope to do.
1: Um, we should probably wrap up, but I know that you spent some time in our research period for this conversation. You got to see Snowpiercer, a movie I really enjoyed when it came out a couple of years back. Uh, what did you make of Snowpiercer
0: starring Mr. Hurt? Uh, well, I really enjoyed this film. I, of course, uh, the director... Uh, Jun Ho Bong a Korean director I'd I'd enjoyed his films uh, from his homeland like The Good The Bad and The Weird and uh, I Saw the Devil which is a pretty great thriller Um, so I and uh, The Host he made The Host which is about a a giant monster attacking soul Um, kind of a very kind of an homage to Godzilla films uh, before we got the recent round of uh, Pacific Rim and Godzilla movies and so on Uh, and and a very well done monster movie that's uh, you know, gives you enough of the monster to make it worthwhile. Uh, and is, you know, really fast, I mean, fast paced and exciting is kind of what he does. And, but in Snowpiercer, he, he's, he's, he's back on a train as he was in the good, the bad, and the weird. And, um, he, uh, he picked John Hurt to play a character named Gilliam. Hmm. <laughs> in this dystopian, uh, train wreck movie uh, and uh, i should say we don't think
1: the film is a train wreck it's
0: actually a great the film great science yes fiction the, the film itself is not a train wreck it, it's wonderful <laughs> it's a wonderful film but it's a very pointed allegory about uh about society and then you know the, the people in the back of the car who are you know the the average joes uh need to fight their way to the front of the car which is where the uh, the elites of society live in this this uh, super train that's basically just speeding around the world on this endless trip while outside it's a frozen wasteland, thanks to global warming. So, uh, and and the efforts to combat global warming. So hurt is kind of like the conscience of the lower class. And, And, um, you know, he's, he's, he's lost an arm and a leg for various reasons that, uh, play into the plot later on, uh, that you find out about. And, um, he's kind of like their spiritual leader as it were. And, and in an interview Bong says that, uh, he he picked hurt for the role because he uh he just kept thinking of of Hurt in The Elephant Man when of course he's buried under piles of latex to play John Merrick this this deformed man who uh, became went from sideshow freak to kind of cause celebre in the 1800s um but so much of what he did he had to do with his eyes and that's what um that's what the, the director of uh, Snowpiercer always remembered and that's why you know that's why he, Hurt gets a lot of close-ups, and and you know he, he really uses his face in an iconic way, and and it's it's quite wonderful to see. Um, you also get Chris Evans as kind of like the leader of this revolt on the train. Uh, playing, he's him. pretty good in this, and he's I pretty think. great. He get yeah. to play, he gets to play something a little grittier than Captain America, and it makes me hope that you know, you know maybe when the superhero cycle uh, dies down or takes a breather, mm-hmm. that he'll consider other parts of, of this kind of. Uh, of this kind of depth uh, in future projects, even though he's obviously a hot property after uh, Avengers and, and Captain America, but he's he's quite wonderful here and it's nice to see him in, a, in kind of a different, even though he's a hero uh, who has to do a lot of fighting, uh, there, there's a lot more to it than that. And yeah. Tilda Swinton is amazing. She is. She plays, she has a great sort of Northern English accent. She's, she's kind of a...
1: Uh, a, a, a functionary of the uh, oppressors on this train
0: and and controlling the 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 shock troops and uh, yeah quite evil actually yeah she's she's very evil and 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 very much the kind of sniveling uh, bureaucrat uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) throughout and and plays it it's quite over the top you know and and certainly as a as an actor who can quite underplay things when need be to see tilda swinton do something that's over the top is 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 pretty remarkable and uh and then of course at, at at the end of the train, you've got Ed Harris as the, uh, the the genius who thought of this whole thing and is running the show basically. And yeah, and there's there's a few lovely smaller roles: uh, Jamie Bell, Octavia Spencer,
1: uh, Kang oh, yeah. Ho Song, and Asung Ko, and uh, uh, oh, and a, and a great uh, a great cameo from Alison Pill as the oh, yeah. uh, the teacher the teacher of the She's of the upper, the upper class uh, kids in a sort of a kindergarten, who <laughs> has a really amazing scene. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's 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 great to see him well used in a very talented cast. And uh, you know, everybody kind of gets equal weight with their parts. I mean, there's so many memorable roles that don't get swept under the carpet as often happens with uh supporting roles in films these days. And 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 Hurt gets his chance to shine. I think uh uh I get the feeling that Bong really respects, you know, his entire cast and, and wants to make sure that everybody has a reason to be there. And if you get a chance to see Snowpiercer, I certainly uh, certainly wholeheartedly recommend it. So this wraps up our
1: gander, our jaunt uh, through the career of a, a Sir John Hurt. He was he was knighted by in his in his in his long career, and, and I'm sure well deserved. Um, we want to mention a few things that you can expect to see starring uh, Sir John Hurt. Uh, in the coming months and perhaps years, uh, he has four projects on the go that he will be acting in uh, that uh, will come out posthumously. Uh, and they are That Good Night, where he plays a dying screenwriter. That's a starring role from him. Something called Damascus Cover, which is a spy movie set in Syria starring Jonathan Rhys-Meyers. A biopic of a British bare-knuckle fighter named My Name is Lenny. And probably the most high-profile film that he's li- liable to be in in the in the coming months, something called Darkest Hour. And this is Joe Wright's World War II movie with Gary Oldman starring as Churchill and John Hurt <laughs> as Neville Chamberlain. There's a lot of great actors in this film, actually.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to that for sure. And uh, there's, there's another one called The Pity of War. It's a TV movie. The Pity of War, The Loves and Lives of the War Poets, which uh, looks at uh, the men who wrote poetry and, and – and presumably some women as well um, fr- around the time of the First World War. And uh, Wilfred Owen uh, is is the primary uh, character in this. But um, John Hurt plays an older version of one of the poets uh, featured in this film. And it's, it's, it's a topic I've always been interested in. And I'm especially curious about the lives of people in the First World War. So I'll be looking forward to that.
1: Um, one last thing to mention. Uh, something called National Screening Day, which uh, if you're listening to this, in March, keep it in mind for April 4th, 2017, where uh, according to what I've read, 90 art house movie theaters across the United States in 79 cities, and in 34 states, plus one location here in Canada, will be participating in a National Event Day screening of 1984, starring John Hurt. Uh, the date of April 4th was chosen because it's the day George or- Orwell's protagonist, Winston Smith, in the, the book and in the film, begins re- rebelling against his oppressive government mm-hmm. by keeping a forbidden diary. Uh, theater owners, I guess, are doing this to reiterate the thought that the uh, the supporting the National Endowment for Arts... As a an important thing to do, and that any attempt to scuttle this program, which has been suggested by Mm. the current American government, is attack on free speech and creative expression through film and through entertainment. Um, And so, this is a chance for all these different independent art house movies to get together and show their unity and actually, hopefully, have their voices heard. Now, I was fairly critical of the film 1984 earlier when we talked about it, but I think this would be a great event if you haven't seen
0: the film to go and check out. Yeah, if you if you have read the book, I mean, I I read the book a number of times uh over the years uh, starting in junior high which you know put an anti-authoritarian streak into me at a a very early age and uh you should you should see the film just to see at least some vision of of that book uh come to life on the screen and to see it in the theater would be be a treat as well so uh keep that in mind i doubt we're getting it in halifax but uh we can dream can't we That's our show for this week. It was great to to look at some of these films, uh, some of which... Of course, I've seen before and uh, others uh, I'm seeing for the first time. Of course, there's so many John Hurt performances out there there's still lots to discover and uh, I'm looking forward to doing that over the years. Me too. If you want to find uh, Lends Me Your Ears online, of course, you can go to our Facebook page. You can uh, send us a note via Twitter at Lends Me Your Ears. Uh, and there's a website a uh, website, rather? there's an email address, Lends Me Your Ears podcast at gmail.com. And uh, my own Twitter handle is at NS underscore S-C-O-O-K-E. Mine is at flaw in the iris. That's F-L-A-W-I-N-T-H-E-I-R-I-S. And if you feel like supporting the show, you can always uh, send a few coins our way via Patreon. You can find us on iTunes or Stitcher. And, uh, of course, we air every other Tuesday evening at 5.30 on CKDU 88.1 FM or CKDU.ca. Once again, thanks to CKDU for the use of their facilities and also to the fine folks at the Village Sound Network who put the finishing touches on this uh, wonderful project. Lens Me Your Ears is hosted by Stephen Cook and Karsten Knox and is produced in Halifax, Nova
1: Scotia for the Village Soundcast Network. All music courtesy of Gypsophilia. Check out all of their amazing music, tour dates, and so much more at gypsophilia.org. This was a Village Soundcast Network original production.